Welcome to Inside the Director Circle and this episode on exploring the canvas of leadership. I'm Jason Langford-Brown, your host, founder of the Director Circle, practicing business advisor and coaching psychologist. Leadership is a big and complex subject, but its importance means we need to cut through this and know where and how to use it effectively. Therefore, this episode coincides with the launch of our Leadership Canvas, our attempt to simplify but not dumb down the topic, and that was partly inspired by our learnings from the military, along with many other models developed and studied over the years. So it seems appropriate that today's knowledge partner joining us from the Director Circle is Chris Carter, MBE. Chris is now spending his time leading major projects for engineering consultants in Jai Arab, including HS2 and more recently the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. But I suppose why Chris is really here today is a formal, former Colonel and Commanding Officer of the British Army. Chris has also delivered leadership development to other armed forces across the globe and teaches to officers at the British Army's Defence Academy. And as, as always, we want to bring a practical element to the discussion. So I'm delighted today to also welcome Joe Williams, CEO of the Royal Orthopaedic Hospital, NHS Trust. I think it's fair to say Joe is seen as a pretty progressive leader in the NHS, and that's probably reflected in the high performance of the RRH, one of the highest performing trusts in the UK. So welcome to you both. And just before we, we, we move on, just very quickly, uh, remember this is just a snapshot of what happens with inside the, the business leader community. So if you want to get more involved or access further insight, visit directors-circle.com and click join the community button. So... To get us off today, Chris, if I can come to you to start with, um, I just wanted to, uh, I think, start with something that really resonated with me when I did some work with you at the Army a few years ago. And we spent a lot of time looking at, you know, the military stuff that, that you'll be very familiar with, but also many, many other models. Um, and, you know, we were hoping to come up with a really simple three-circle three Venn diagram, as all management consultants would like to have, to really cut through this. But we kind of quickly discovered that leadership isn't that straightforward, which is why we ended up with a canvas. But what was really interesting was we managed to build our canvas around three core components, which is what leaders are, what leaders know, um, and what leaders do, which is, I know, very much at the heart of the Army leadership model. Uh, and however hard we try, whatever model we looked at, whatever theory we kind of studied, we could we couldn't not pin it back to those three core elements. So I thought it'd be great just to to start today with just getting your thoughts on, you know, how how powerful was that for you when you were back in the army? Um, you know, how did it help you? Um, and does it still resonate? And have you sort of taken that into the more commercial world and the and the world more generally? Yeah, definitely. So so within the British Army, you know, clearly leadership has been a subject of you know great study and analysis for for, for decades and indeed centuries but it's only really in the last 15 or so years that the army has taken steps to uh, really bring together its learning and and in common everyday language set out simple frameworks and guides for its leaders you know all the way from general to, to lance corporal or indeed private soldier to to apply in their, their everyday uh, working lives uh, and this has really opened up, up the, the subject taking it away from a, you know, a subject of some mystique into something really practical that all of us can embrace and, and you know, work to improve ourselves and others' sort of uh, abilities in this field. Uh, and instrumental to that, I think, has been the development of the leaders are, leaders know, and leaders do model, uh, recently updated um, with, with some additional practicalities on, on how leaders go about their day-to-day -day business as well. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's been um, an, an eye-opener, not only in terms of developing what, you know, your own uh, leadership practice and leadership capabilities, but communicating with others as to, as, uh, with regards to what good leadership looks like uh, and enabling and supporting others in, in the development of their own leadership practice. So is it, is it what I'm hearing, it's kind of made it a bit more tangible and a bit, you know, easier yeah. to sort of, you know, 
yeah it's tag things too because there's so much to talk about in leadership isn't there really yeah and um, we i think we we can, particularly in the military, we can be guilty of setting a very, very high bar in terms of leadership discussion. So we'll go straight to, you know, the Duke of Wellington or, uh, you know, Field Marshal Slim or you know, some, some of the great British military leaders or indeed sort of international leaders. Um, and, you know, that, that's a great uh, vehicle for learning. But, you know, for the majority of us who are kind of, you know, middling average you know, leaders trying to improve our own practice and our own abilities or, or find ourselves, you know, a technical expert who's, who's been given a leadership, you know, position uh, and having to, to get to grips, you know, in pretty short order with the subject leadership, you know, that does set a very, very high bar in terms of um, aspiration and, and doesn't necessarily give you the kind of tools to, to develop yourself and, and to understand what good leadership looks like and what it feels like. Great, yeah. So, Joe, just uh, just to bring you in on that that part of the conversation, is that you know, as a leader, uh, is that and, and obviously having lots of leaders working for you, is that a challenge for you? Sort of that common language, that simplicity of tools. Did that resonate with you from what Chris was saying there? Um, it's fascinating. I could listen to Chris all afternoon. Actually, it's it's really interesting in terms of the contrast. So, so I would say probably from twenty three years in the NHS, um, we we haven't gone to figureheads or we haven't gone into history to look at who good leaders are because I think the NHS has struggled with that in the past um so it's I think we've if I think through my career I'd, I think I had very limited um support and management in terms of what good leadership looked like it was more a kind of who inspired me in terms of working you know what did a good chief exec look like when I was working in different uh, parts of the NHS um, but I think for us, not only as leadership now coming to the fold in terms of NHS about actually what good leadership looks like, the, the interesting bit for us now is about uh, compassionate and authentic, which you would think should be kind of motherhood and apple pie in the NHS. But I think it's only now where, you know, if I think of some of the things that I communicate out now, um, even five, ten years ago, it would be frowned upon me in terms of how I was being authentic. Um, and how you know you shouldn't be seen to to lead in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that, Joe. Because and I think part of your progressiveness is your authenticity, and you're right. I think actually some of the things that you do from an authentic position, you're probably right, would be seen as almost a sign of weakness. So maybe maybe this is a you know we're not going to cover the, the whole canvas today, but in the in the R section of, of the canvas, we talk about you know one thing one thing that leaders definitely are is authentic in style, and I always separate that out. I think from the skill of um, maybe you'd call it adaptive leadership, your ability to flex your style, which I think is a skill that leaders need to have. But it is for me, it's a skill. But I think what you actually are at your core is, you know, you are authentic. So it's really interesting. You both talk about what good leadership looks like. So I'm wondering, is there a bit of a paradox there? We're, we're looking for what good leadership looks like. We're also saying you need to be authentic. Chris, do you, do you have a view on that? I don't think there are paradox. Um, I, I think within the military, uh, you know, it, you know, and this is. Is entirely in line with, with other professions and, and occupations. You know, in a leadership position, you know, you're you're very open to observation and, and scrutiny, and therefore uh, not being authentic, not being yourself or the best version of yourself. You know, perhaps might be another way of putting it. Um, you know, is is very quickly apparent to to those you work with and uh, those those that you uh, those that you lead that you're not being you know that you are being uh, inauthentic and, and there's there's a lack of integrity and, and a degree of truth to to the uh, 
to, to, to your actions and, and behaviors. And, and that comes across um, um, very readily and is, is, is very apparent. You, know, you are under, under a huge spotlight in, in any leadership position. And, and I think what, what resonates with people is that authenticity, you being you, um, the best version of yourself, acting in accordance with you know, good leadership practice, but being, but being yourself. And, and I think that, that, is, that, that is true you know, in many professions, not least of which the military. Yeah, I think I, I, I tend to resonate with that just because I think, you know, what good leadership looks like, one of them definitely is authenticity. And um, so it's not about being like somebody else, it's being you. But I think the bit I pull out of that, you talked about integrity and, I, and the word that popped into my in my head was trust. I think even at yeah. a subconscious level, if you aren't authentic, people, they almost smell it. <laughs> and so they don't trust you. Uh, and if people don't trust you, it's probably hard to be a leader. Um, would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned Field Marshal Slim earlier. He he was the British uh, uh, general who uh, took command of the the army in the Far East in, in the early forties, having been comprehensively beaten by the, by the Japanese forces. And it was a, a disparate multinational uh, army. It was at the end of a very very long supply chain from from the UK, which you know was under huge pressure in the early forties itself, uh, and was no called itself the Forgotten Army, and it was very much a beaten army. And Slim transformed the, the army very much through personal, personal leadership and example and being an authentic leader. You know, he, he's well known, known within the military for um, in the event of any, any of the, uh, the organizations within his army you know, being uh, cut off from supply and being on short rations. He put his own army headquarters on, on half rations just to emphasize to all in the headquarters that, uh, that they weren't going to eat properly until everyone within the army was eating properly. Um, and he very famously said that leadership was a projection of personality and it was the most personal thing in the world. And the phrase that's so often repeated when people speak about Slim's views on leadership was because leadership is just plain you. And I think, you know, in the 40s, you know, that speaks very, very clearly to, to the, uh, to the topic of authentic leadership, which Joe's already mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just just before we move on to slightly different subjects, I'm conscious of time today, but I think that that notion of what good leadership looks like is it looks like you, I think is really, really powerful. But Joe, just practically for you, what difference are you seeing day to day um, with your teams by, you know, when you were maybe less authentic in the past, because that's how you were expected to be versus how you're now being much more authentic? What, what practical difference is it making for you in a day to day uh, running of the organisation? I guess at the opportunity of becoming the chief exec, which is what, three and a half years ago now, um, COVID started as well in the organisation. So it was a good opportunity, although I was not new to the organisation, I was new into this role. So um, it's, it's the point that Chris made. People wanted to know, they wanted to know about me in terms of my decisions, where it was going to come from. So, um, you know, can they trust this person? Because we're into something really scary. We don't know what it's going to look like. We're frightened. So they've got to be able to trust what I say and also know that there's only, you know, it's that version of, there's one version of you. So my decision-making and the way I approach things, there's not, you know, there's not a Joe behind the scenes and a Joe that's uh, front-facing. So I think it is important. Um, they, they know you're going to make hard decisions um, and it's, it's how you back them up, isn't it, about actually this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and we're going to do it together. Um, and I think what's nice, um, so what I write out, it's, it's the hardest piece of work that I do every week. And I, uh, I write out um, a start of the week. It normally ends up being the end of the week most weeks. But I write out something that's happened either in the week 
about the week or something that's happening around um, in terms of global, whether it's cost of living. And actually what's, in, what's really lovely now is that I hear staff say, well, this is what Joe would say. This is what Joe would decide. And this is, we, we, know, we know her values. Um, and I had somebody who emailed me last week who I don't know, who had seen something, they wanted to praise somebody and they had a discussion in the office to say, we know you're a fair, authentic and kind leader. And I thought that was just really nice for somebody that I'd never met, but clearly the way that I've tried to be authentic, they knew that they were safe to email me, but also that they knew in terms of my values, which was, I don't think they realised just how much that one email meant really. No, that's really powerful, Joe. And I think that's really interesting yeah. as well, because as you become a leader of a big organisation, it's impossible to touch everybody. But through that authenticity, you're reaching more people, I think, because that's a really interesting piece of insight for me from there. Chris, were you going to jump in on that? I mean, that, that, I mean, that sounds sounds fantastic. And that, and that feedback from uh, from a from a colleague, you know, saying those words, uh, you know, I think is, is tremendously powerful. Uh, and within the, the military's version of the R, uh, no and, and do model. Uh, you know, we talk about the leaders setting the example and being the champions, the champion of defined values and standards within within the organisation. So the British Army, like many organisations, has defined it, its values and, and standards, which aren't necessarily um, too different from what you might expect in an organisation such as an, an NHS trust, for example. I mean, the good sort of common sense values of you know doing the right thing in in, in the right way, but very much the leader being that you know, that champion of, of values and standards uh, and consistent and fair application, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so people know what to expect and they can buy into that and they know it's, you know, we, we've, said, we've said it previously, you know, it's the authentic, it's the authentic version of, of, of the leader, it's the authentic version of the, the organisation in question. Yeah, and it's that you know we I know we shamelessly you know stole the 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 R no do from the army as part of our canvas baseline because we said we couldn't get away from everything pinned into it whichever model we looked at, um, but the champions of the standards and behaviours there's something else we we shamelessly took with us because we just thought it was, it was way too powerful and I think Joe's example is a really good reason why that that needs to be part of what leaders are. I just wanted to to you know about what to expect and you mentioned earlier in the podcast Joe about compassion, um, and in the do part of the canvas we talk about. Um, part of what leaders need to do is provide support, um, which kind of sits around the notion that they need to achieve something with individuals and with teams. But I think, I think you've, you've hit on something here that I think in, in the modern age, providing support has got, got a lot more serious than it used to be, not just you know, putting your arm around somebody, but actually showing compassion, you know, lots of conversation around psychological safety now. Because um, I think if people, and I think this is what you're getting to your authenticity, if people are, are frightened from within, from their own leaders, really, really hard. <laughs> to focus on what we should be doing. So I'm just interested from your perspective, how that compassion part has evolved. Are you embracing things like psychological safety? Um, are you seeing people perform better because they're not fearful of their leaders squashing them, shall we say? Um, so I guess we started something that um, we called the ROH Wellbeing Hospital, uh, which shameless are completely made up. And somebody said to me, what does that look like? And I said, what it we're in the healthcare business, but we have to look after the people who provide healthcare to patients. And you can see that through the quality of care. So we, we started on some, um, some small things. So we started on actually understanding, uh, given that my makeup of a workforce is predominantly females. Uh, so we started on the menopause and then we then started on hidden disability. And then uh, we talked about uh, be myself. So 
it, it's that about knowing that, you know, we know that people, I, I always talk about people turn up at work in the car and they don't just leave all the problems in the car, whether that's cost of living, whether that's caring for an elderly relative, whether that's all the, it's, it's that onion, all the different layers of the individuals. What we've said to them is come into work as yourself, bring everything with you and we will work with you to say, how can we help you? Because okay. you are a, you are a person, and what we've then done is then set up different groups. And what's been fantastic is that actually um, those groups have been created by staff. So staff have gone out. Uh, most recently, we've done something called uh, Mankind, which is all around um, supporting. Uh, we know that male colleagues struggle in terms of talking to each other, whether that's through health, whether that's mental health, whether that's physical health. Uh, whether that's bereavement so we've I, i've said um right we need to think about how we support our male colleagues the next thing i know they've got a group they've got a logo they've got a you know they've already been so i think but then if you set that framework you've then got to give them the support to know that you're going to help them with it um so what we've then done is we've we've tried to make sure we do the support and we don't just go straight for the policies and procedures because if people feel confident and open that they can explain when they're struggling we shouldn't need them going into, you know, to disciplinaries and, and poor performance because we know people don't take the, you know, don't come into work to say, how can I do a rubbish job today? That no, there are not. other things that are going off and it's no. how we can support them with that. Yeah, I think that, that's interesting, Joe. As you were talking there, it resonated with me as well when we talk about when we do emotional intelligence, which we know is another high, you know, high factor for, for what leaders are that, you know, I think in the old days, it was, you know, don't bring your emotions to work, you know, as if, you know, but you, you know, you, it's impossible. Isn't it? Our emotions ebb and flow every minute of the day, you know? So I think that notion of it's there, we have to accept it's there, bring it with you and then we'll deal with it. It's that's, that's, that's a really interesting notion. I suppose Chris, you know, just to be, just to be a bit Neanderthal for a second, I'm in my head, I'm thinking this all sounds a bit woolly for the army. Um, where does you know, compassion and psychological safety and all the things Joe's talk about sit in a, in a in a military yeah, I, situation <laughs> i think i think the real i think the reality is that that has always that has always had a place with it within military leadership you know, we're talking about you know that the whole individual comes to work as, as joe says and whether you like it or not you know that that's what comes to work and if you want to get the best out of your people if, if you want to demand you know the highest levels of performance uh, and concentration and commitment in, in the most uh, demanding of circumstances you know you've got to You've got to develop the individual. You've got to um, build the individual, support the individual. Um, that is the basis of good teams and, and the basis of good performance. And so I think that's always been part of, of military leadership. It hasn't been as explicit um, it, it, in the sense of how, how the military is evolving in terms of better managing its people and, and looking after you know, wider, wider needs. Um, but, but I think the you know the military is improving uh, in that you know explicit articulation of, of that requirement. Uh, yeah, and I'll you know there's, there's a very you know simple example or, you know, in terms of the the motto of the Royal Military Academy standards where the Army trains its uh, young leaders, uh, and that is serve to lead, uh, and that's been the motto of that that organisation since since 1945 when it was uh, founded in its current form. Uh, and that is ingrained into you know, young trainee officers that you know, they are there to serve their soldiers um, in, in order to, to, perform the, to perform their duty. Uh, and looking after the whole individual, I think, is very much, very much part of that. 
I think it's another example, Chris, where, you know, the, 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 the myth and the belief of how the army behaved in the past is often very different to the truth. And I think that's another, that's, that's what I've not heard before, but another example of where actually some of this stuff actually has been there for a long, long time in the army, despite the fact that some of the, some of the myths that go around have been very, very different. So I just wanted to just say conscious of time and just uh, wanted to just touch on one last subject before we before we finish this this episode today, which is around the area of leadership leaders know we, we know they you know stuff around they need to they need to, be able to lead themselves lead others obviously um, they need a whole bunch of leadership skills which in itself is a huge a huge subject but I think the one that often creates a lot of debate when I'm talking to leaders is this notion of being able to lead the thinking because um, I think many leaders go into leadership thinking they need to be the biggest brain have all the ideas you know come up with all the answers uh, and you know we talk a lot about leading thinking often is about helping others to come up with all the right answers and get the best thinking from the group uh chris maybe just get you to maybe put your spin on that and is there a, is there kind of is there something in the army that uh, is driven around that concept i think we've lost chris uh, chris is back sorry chris um, no i'm still here i i think once once again this this is something that that's been in practice for many years if not um, made explicit, but certainly made explicit now. Um, and th this is the idea of the leader who, who in a military context is, you know, could be one of the younger members uh, at the most junior level, could be one of the, could be, could be one of the so younger members of a, of a 30 person group called a, a troop or platoon. Uh, and a 21 year old second lieutenant or lieutenant is, is in charge of this, this group of people. Uh, and within this group, you've got a huge amount of experience and expertise uh, and outputs of training and, and so forth. And you know, within the development of young officers, you know, we emphasize the, the importance of seeking advice, opinion of, from, your, from your command, taking the best of those ideas, synthesizing a plan, and then delivering the plan. And the officer's job is to own the plan, to deliver the plan, to monitor, evaluate, uh, and, and you know, keep, keep uh, performance on track. But in terms of forming the plan, it, it is to, to seek ad, ad, advice and experience from, from all available sources. Uh, and you know, we don't expect the officer or, or the young leader to know everything, but we do, know, we do expect them to have a, uh, uh, an approach that, that, that draws in this knowledge and experience, uh, develops a, a cohesive workable plan and then executes the plan uh, as required. It's, it's, you just reminded me, uh, Chris, when I was working with some of your team probably 10 years ago now when we brought some business leaders into the army for, for some sessions and uh, we, were, we were doing a task and I know that one of your um, mantras in, your, in, your, in the team performance of the army about disagreement is good, which is something I think we use in team performance generally. Um, but the um, the task was kind of given by the officers and everyone just said, yeah, we'll do that. And they actually said, no, we're not doing anything until you go away and actually have some debate and, and, and challenge some of the thinking we've given you. So it was almost like they wouldn't even let them continue until there'd been some of that kind of group thinking and group debate, which I thought was a really good example of what you've just said in action. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in, you know, we, we have a number of defined processes for, for developing plans at various levels and using you know, various, various organizations within um, uh, a military task uh, organization uh, and throughout those plans we, we have a uh, uh, in effect a wargaming uh, approach at various key uh, gateways so the gateway review is is in effect a, a, a wargaming where, where we test the plan and we challenge the plan and we subject it to sort of different in, inputs and we encourage you know the red teaming approach which is you know chucking in uh, curveballs and uh, 
uh, as you know, and, and various challenges to, to make sure that um, you know we've, we've got the best plan you know most comprehensively uh, thought out as possible and we've you know we have considered all the, all the various contingencies you know and that openness to challenge I think is uh, is, is most important yeah, I think that's really interesting that you've actually got very deliberate tactics to actually force that as well, which I think is really, really interesting. So, Joe, just from your perspective, how, how do you find this notion of kind of, you know, you you leading the thinking as opposed to doing all the thinking? Is it is it is it something you do? Is it a challenge for you in a, in a non-military environment to get people around you kind of doing the thinking as a group? Um, so I suppose from a given that my role here was a chief operating officer before, there was a lot of work that I did in terms of actually setting that direction and boundaries about how we wanted, you know, setting that vision about what we wanted to get to. Um, what I've found in the last, uh, so I'm coming up for nearly six years now and three and a half as chief exec, what I've found is that actually I don't have to direct anymore, which is great because people know that they can see, they know the framework in which they can perform, very much like Chris described really, the, the framework and they don't have to ask for permission. Um, but it is so linked to culture. It, the people yeah. have got to know that, um, you know, that I always say to them, you know, try, try not to look. I, I think, you know, when you look at management and people visually look up and it's kind of the exec team do not have all the answers. So I think it's just dispelling that myth to say, actually, you see it day in, day out. We can probably do very little about today, but you can do something about tomorrow. So what is it that you can do? Um, there's clearly some learning in terms of, we tend in the NHS to just to let's get it in and have a go and just hope it works. And then we'll have a look at it. it was probably some from Chris and the team about actually how we test it. Um, because I think at times there's something about actually let's just have a go. And COVID has taught us that as well. We took down all the boundaries for COVID and said we're dealing with something really new. We don't know whether it's going to work. We're going to have a go. And it's okay if it goes wrong. Because we do live in that fear at sometimes about you know, what if it goes wrong? So we have set that framework to say, you know, if you have a go at something and it doesn't work, it's okay. Yeah, and I think it's some, Joe, I mean, just to wrap up today, I think it's some, definitely some authenticity there in terms of, you know, admitting we don't have all the answers. I think then empowering people to go away and think for themselves. And then given that psychological safety to make mistakes, that probably encompasses a number of things we've already talked about today. So that was, uh, thank you for that. So just, just to wrap up this episode, if I was to say, if, if you had to give the leaders out there, you know, just one piece of advice as a leader, what would it be? Let me just finish off with one. What would be your number one piece of advice as a leader that you'd give to leaders listening to this episode? Joe, do you want to kick us off? Uh, I would say stop looking left and right and look straight ahead because Jesus needs to be your authentic self and it's and it, and it's enough. Great. Chris? Lead others in the way that you would expect to be led yourself. Great. Thanks, Chris. And I think for me, I think I'm in so many good insights from today. I'm not going to summarise them all, but I think that kind of notion that what good leadership looks like is actually you, I think is a, it's a really powerful thing to take away for people from today. So thank you, Chris, Joe. Uh, in the next episode, Chris and Joe are going to join us again, and we're going to actually look at some leadership lessons from the military, uh, things that hopefully Chris has learned that uh, still resonate it, back it, out here in the uh, in the outside world. Um, but in the meantime, if you want more information on this subject, reach out to us at directors-circle.com, or you can reach out to one of, one of our knowledge partners, Lucid, who, uh, who own the Leadership Canvas, uh, and it'll be more than happy i'm sure to explore this so into more detail with you but in the meantime thank you for listening to inside the director circle